Hi everyone and welcome to our first episode of the Ways of Art and Science podcast. My name is Charlotte and I'm very pleased to welcome you. And first, a big shout out to Javi Sosa who composed this great jingle we just heard. Thanks, Javi. And of course, to my first guest, Helen Emily Davy, who just finished her master thesis here at the Art and Science Department at the Angewandte in Vienna. Helen was born 1996. She's from Manchester, UK and studied fine art, painting and printmaking at the Glasgow School of Arts. In her art, she experimented with techniques such as installation, collage, stained glass, embroidery and text. In her now finished master thesis, Helen explores the edges of our understanding and what happens when we cannot logically explain something. She goes deep into the histories of spiritualism and the pre- and early cinematic images. In her master exhibition, What Presence, Epistemology, Technology and the Supernatural, she displays her artistic outcomes on her research on the entanglements between the supernatural and the epistemological. In this episode of the podcast, I visited Helen at her exhibition at Vordere Zollernstraße. Following her on spooky steps through histories of the limits and extensions of truth-making and what lessons we might be able to draw from the realms of the supernatural. Hi, Helen. We are here in your exhibition space. Congratulations to your masters. Thank you. And I have to say it's a very um, special atmosphere. We just heard this very interesting sound coming in here. And now we are in half dark space, but it's not scary, actually. How, how, how would you describe it? I see some installations here and some warm lights, but... Yeah, I mean, we are in the, the second room of the space now. As, as you said, we've come through the first room, which I designed as an, uh, an antechamber of sorts, a sort of passageway that people could mm -hmm. enter the space and start mediating on the themes. Um, so, yeah, so we passed through that space and now we're in... The second uh, space of my exhibition, I should say, it's titled uh, What Presence? Epistemology, Technology and the Supernatural. Um, so yeah, it consists of two rooms, the sound installation that we've just said, and this second room, which is um, comprised of two uh, optical toys that I've built and three play sets as well, toy theatres. I was wondering how all of this... Um started like um how did you wanted to go deeper into the supernatural i mean there's so many things you can do how, how did that happen uh really it started about uh, two and a half years ago just before i moved to vienna to start the art and science course uh, i visited the welcome collection in london which is a exhibition collection and archive space which looks at the intersections of art, science and medicine especially and they had a show in the summer of 2019 which was called uh, Smoke and Mirrors, The Psychology of Magic 
So that show really took quite a, a broad sweep and looked at various sort of magical happenings, be they seances, stage magic, or various sort of telekinesis or other sort of man- manifestations. And I was really struck by how um, the curator or the curation of the show took quite a um, an accepting and non-judgmental viewpoint on the supernatural in general. That they really wanted to look at why um, why people choose to believe in these things from a from quite an open-minded perspective, and also at um, psychological processes that lead people to be, depending on your view, either duped or truly believe what they're seeing. Yeah, because I also understood it as that you're more interested into like the epistemic processes that also develop out of these interests on the supernatural. So you deal more with the order of what we can understand and what we might not understand, but do it to different practices, for, for example, seances, mm-hmm. then learn to understand if you choose to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I, in one of the books that I read for writing the thesis, um, which is called Rorschach Audio by Joe Banks, he talks about the difference between sensation and perception. And that's a psychological process that is at play all mm-hmm. of the time. We're not conscious of it, but we don't understand things as raw data that comes into our eyes or ears. There's always a process within yeah. the brain that changes this raw data, if you like, into what, what we can understand. And that is definitely in play within all sort of supernatural manifestations and it really whichever way you believe there's there's not really a way of escaping that because every everybody's doing it at all points but yeah definitely the epistemological side is what I've been interested in I wondered about how also because um we're standing in front of a a wheel that turns and there are photographs inside of you Mm -hmm. and what is it called again This is a praxinoscope. Mm-hmm. So it was a Victorian pre-cinematic toy for making a moving Im- image. Okay, because like the coming up of cinematic practices and also spiritualism at the beginning of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. This is also this is like the time you're most dealing with, right? So it's not so much about contemporary spiritualism or um, not so much with contemporary spiritualism. I deal with it sort of histories and legacies mm. in the the chapter echo of the thesis but yeah you're right the first two do delve uh, mostly into the late 19th and early 20th mm. century and I was yeah I was really interested in the sort of twin birth and development of spiritualism and photography and later the moving image because they were all sort of coming about at a similar time and that really I, I write in the in one of the chapters called spectacle about how the photograph was used to either prove or disprove spiritualist practices Mm. Um, because at the time photography was seen very um, early on was seen as sort of the arbiter of ultimate truth yeah finally we found the medium how we can yeah anything and and soon everyone or lots of people realized that there are lots of ways to fake fake a photograph and yeah um, I was talking before about the the show at the Welcome Collection and they had a, a vast collection of spiritualist photographs and you know it's quite easy as a, a modern person who could whip up an image that looks mm. like a 
double exposure ghost image on I could probably do it on my phone within about yeah. five minutes. Yeah. But these are things that people truly believed in and yeah, I wanted to sort of explore that within this piece and within the other optical toy uh, within the exhibition by using different alternative photographic processes. So the images, like you say... Um, so I'm turning it right now. And so what, what what's happening for you? Like so within this piece, I've taken both the role of the medium, uh, the veiled medium and the ghost. And the ghost sort of passes through the image as it, as it spins and as the motion is created. Mm the ghostly figure passes through the frame and then out again. And this was, as well as the histories of photography and cinematic toys, been really in the testimonies of uh, mediums themselves. Yeah. Some of them found the process of sitting and conjuring up other entities very distressing and very sort of that depersonalization, very upsetting. Other people found it very almost healing to be able to step out of themselves for a moment and there's some writing about how and I also again mentioned this in the thesis but how women at the time were allowed to say certain things political mm. opinions or um, different social critiques during a seance because they weren't speaking for themselves they were okay absenting themselves and speaking for another. So their body was not their own body and that enabled them to speak, yeah. not their minds, so to say, but someone Yeah, own. and it was sort of, yeah, more, more socially acceptable mm. um, because it wasn't really them talking, supposedly. So yeah, the sort of testimonies of the mediums themselves I found very, quite moving a lot of the time. Mm. And so this is part what I wanted to explore in this piece. I've created the images with, they're both They're all rather made with a double emul emulsion lift. Um, so, Helen, I was wondering, because um, you studied fine arts and printmaking in Glasgow, mm -hmm. that's right before, and you worked with several different mediums before, like installations, um, embroidery mm -hmm. as well, and this whole research changed also your practical approach and also for like dealing with all of these topics and also I don't know the 19th 20th century the beginning of the 20th century like in materials or I don't know did it kind of develop alongside it what you wanted to do here what you wanted to show or um, how, how did that evolve yeah I mean my practice has always been very um, very research based um, I yeah I did study uh, painting and printmaking in Glasgow. I didn't do, barely did any painting. I did quite a bit of printmaking, but my final show was another installation that was some light boxes with paper cuts inside that I built and uh, another toy theatre, because I love building toy theatres. <laughs> um, but that, again, was also grew out of a piece of research. I wrote my undergraduate thesis on representations of the female body in mm -hmm anatomical literature and in sort of material culture and the the final piece from that was definitely very much influenced by the ideas in the thesis so I think my work always exists in tandem with with research okay. and yeah I, I suppose it it like I say in tandem rather than the the physical work is never an illustration of the, yeah 
the thesis or whatever piece of um, research I'm working on, it's always something that's transformed in some way, almost always a lot more personal than whatever, you know, usually academic text I'm writing. It's, uh, I find the work a way to be more, to allow my subjectivity into it much more so than um, in um, academic writing. Okay. Because that's, uh, I think that's interesting to be, you know, because that's what we're trying to do, like in art and science, to be researchers and artists at the same time. And mm -hmm. that can maybe sometimes be super enlightening, but also a bit confusing where you're uh, situated <laughs> at the moment. And I wondered uh, if one of, or maybe all, I don't know, of these pieces kind of also on the other way, like, you know, influence what you were going to write, if that kind of enlightened you and kind of... Um, where where the theme was going or like what supernatural or like spirituality can be or mm, i mean yeah definitely i mean um i think i said in one of our mm. the research presentations that i had to give before finishing the masters i don't think i could ever be a quote unquote proper historian because i get too um involved like you know i can still write with some level of objectivity whatever objectivity means but i'm very glad to have the the work as an outlet um and yeah the sort of in really um for a lot of the work in this is the story of a woman called louisa Lowe. so mm -hmm. we just heard the the sound installation next door which is me trying to communicate with her and yeah i found her story very moving um and i knew that i wanted to make work about it and so i researched more and more into her so Yeah, the, the work and the writing sort of influence each other. There's not a sort of simple cause and effect situation. So this kind of communication with her in the sound piece is also what motivated, inspired you further to go deeper into this research. Yeah, definitely. There's a real sort of ebb and flow between mm. the two. They sort of pass between each other. Um, and yeah, the, the work wouldn't be able to be made without the thesis and I don't think I'd be able to make the thesis if I didn't have some outlet in the work so they sort of very much exist with each other because they brought you to new questions or yeah yeah maybe you can think of an example or... so uh, the another piece that's in this uh, work should we walk around yeah sure uh, another piece in the exhibition is um, the other optical toy which is the fenachistoscope and this is made with well it's a structure with wood and copper but placed on the structure are a series of lumen prints that I've made using materials so lumen prints are made with photographic paper that's exposed to UV light or sunlight mm -hmm. um, with some sort of resist on it or some sort of object on it to, to create the image so I used wax and cheesecloth, which were some materials used by fraudulent mediums to create um, ectoplasm or like some sort of manifestation. Okay. And it was in making these works really that I started to, or continued really thinking about the themes of absence and presence. And um, as in the praxinoscope, absenting oneself in order to be able to speak. Yeah. It was the creation of the work really in both of these pieces allowed me to sort of realize that's what I wanted to write more about um, in, in the thesis itself. I wonder, like, when you're researching so much about the supernatural and we talked about that you really 
also like the approach that it's not condemned as like I don't know hocus pocus, but <laughs> actually you take it serious like an like an epistemic process and you're interested in it. Was there ever in your research a point where you like were a bit like I don't know shook like surprised in a way that I felt like ah oh, I don't know this is. Um, could that be or <laughs> <laughs> or you could like feel like understand how people yeah. Think yeah I think um, there's a I write in the thesis about um, a lot of the images because spiritualism has a huge visual culture surrounding it it's the images and the ephemera of it is there's so much um, and there's one image or series of images that I talk about in the thesis which is a, a medium from the 1920s who was actually the last person, I think, tried and convicted of witchcraft mm. in the UK in the 1940s, oh, like wow. that late. But she was, I mean, quite obviously a fraud. You can see from the images that the the ghost or the, the figure that she's conjuring, I mean, to us now, it looks completely unbelievable. It's the sort of sort of grotesque looking mask with a um it's a grotesque looking mask with a sheet hanging off of it and it's so sort of obvious to a, to a modern viewpoint as a fake but there was a woman who came to her seances who was absolutely convinced that this ghost was her daughter who had died a few years previously mm. and it's very easy to sort of if not laugh but almost pity her and say you know it's so obvious this is a fake how did she believe it but with the sort of relation to the image that she had then, you know, people didn't take images constantly, there were no home videos, there were very few sort of recorded images of her daughter, so she had a completely different relation to the image than we do, and it's that sort of desire to believe and find some comfort in it, um, I don't think is something that should be laughed at, I think that's mm. a, a, an urge that everybody has. Um, so yeah, that that was another point that really sort of moved me in the yeah. research. I mean, obviously, looking at that image, there's no way a, a modern person would believe it. Yeah. But you can very much empathize with why someone would, why someone would want to believe. And yeah, that's sort of how I wanted to approach the entirety of the thesis and the exhibition is with that sort of sense of empathy, I suppose. Um, rather than, you know, it, it doesn't really matter to me if any of this was real or not. It still existed as a phenomenon. Yeah. And it still has really long-lasting sort of afterlives in cinema culture and visual culture. Yeah. Um, even in, in language, sort of speaking from behind the veil or mesmerism or things, you know, words yeah, that Yeah, no we... matter what, it left its traces. Yeah, in... exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we can, yeah, think we're you know looking back with hindsight can be ve could could be very judgmental but that was really not the the approach that i wanted to take with the thesis or the exhibition so is there something today because your approach is also quite historical but today we could i mean not everywhere but a lot like the supernatural is like okay we have all this technology and this knowledge mm -hmm. and so there's no way but still i mean we do kind of science i mean like you know in the dark in the where we don't know when you mm -hmm. look at like 
physics, ex experimental physics that we can learn from the supernatural or where you can draw like parallels between mm. that? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I, I mentioned sort of towards the end that I sort of really wanted to consider spiritualism um, in all its forms because it was a very, you know, diverse practice um, as a sort of epistemological or philosoph philosophical um, mindset to approach things. I think like it, like you say, with sort of quantum mechanics and quantum physics, we're in a world that things can or things could exist between states. And we also live in a very technologically mediated world and we have very fractured selves, increasingly so. And that can be quite a disorientating or upsetting process. So I think there is still like lessons to be learned or sort of things that we consider can consider from the history of spiritualism mm. that could give us, um, yeah, a bit of insight into the, the world that we're living in today. So yeah, I don't see it as something that's entirely his historical and has finished. I think, yeah, there are still sort of truths that we can draw from it. Nice. Just one last question. Were you ever scared at one point? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I mean, I've spent, you know, two, two and a half years reading about, you know, poltergeists and ghosts and mediums and stuff. So horror movies are lost on you now <laughs> because there's nothing <laughs> that can scare you anymore. Yeah, I mean, the the only thing that... No, I'm, I, I think I have a pretty thick skin um i went to see one horror film at slash film festival here in vienna that really freaked me out but okay so that still works yeah <laughs> but but in in general i don't find the sort of ghostliness of spiritualism creepy in any way i find it quite a, a comforting place to be um yeah I, you know Some kind of my, yeah, <laughs> my uh my stepmother is a very um I suppose quite spiritualist-esque um, and she has told me that if you are entering a room that's supposedly haunted you just need to go in and say you know I'm here you're here we've got to exist in the same space space let's just respect each other and that should be fine so you know if I ever come across have to go and stay in a haunted house I have that piece of advice um, great <laughs> okay so you know what to do um yeah Thank you so much, Helen. That was super interesting. And it's a very nice exhibition. So anyone who has time, come to Vordere Zollamtstraße. And yeah, good luck with that. And I hope you're not haunted. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't disturb anyone. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, if there are any ghosts in the Angevonta building, I hope they're not too upset. But hopefully they feel respected. <laughs> <laughs>